Okay, so through this series, we've been saying that most people divide their life into two categories. One is the secular, and the other is, I'll spell it right, the sacred. Secular and sacred. And the secular is like going to work, going to school, you know, doing the recreation stuff, the things outside of church. And the sacred is devotions and going to church and reading your Bible and, 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 and going to Bible studies and serving at the church. And so we are either living, we feel sometimes, in the sacred or the secular. The problem is with that, it's not in Scripture. It's heretical. It's unbiblical. You can't look any place in Scripture and find that you are doing something secular or doing something sacred. There is no such thing. In Scripture, all of our life is sacred. All of our life is to be set apart because it's all about God. That's what we've been looking at in this stewardship series. We said, first of all, that our time is all about God. God gives us this gracious gift of time. And wherever we are and whatever we're doing, we are on God's time. And we should be thinking about that. How are we going to respond to God in a way that honors Him? That's part of worship. Our talents are a gracious gift of God. God gives us a spiritual gift. And within this spiritual gift, we use talent as kind of an acronym to say that He uses our training and our assets and our longings and our experience and our, our network of friends, family and friends, our temperament, our skills, all to build this special gift that He's given us. Now, today we want to look at our treasures. How does God want us to use? Our treasures. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And let me set the context of this passage. So the, at this time in history, when 2 Corinthians 8 is being written, the church in Jerusalem was going through a terrible time. They were in dire straits. In Acts chapter 8, we read that persecution was sweeping through Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, we read that a widespread famine was going through the area. And so here in this mother church in Jerusalem, you have persecution going on, which meant that a lot of people, their, their property had been confiscated. And you had a famine going on. So here are people in poverty. Here are people in great need. So Paul, as he was doing his missionary journeys, he said, let's take up a, a collection for the church in Jerusalem. That's where it all started. We want to be gracious to them, just like we would today, right? If a tornado goes to an area or a hurricane or a flood, we take up a relief fund, and that's what Paul was doing. So when he started it, when he got the word out, the Corinthians, man, they jumped on board. They were so excited about it. They were the first to give. They made great pledges of what they were going to do, a great commitment. We're going to take care of the church. In fact, they were going through, at that time, pretty... Uh, economically well off. So they said, we're going to take care of the church in Jerusalem. Then for some reason, we don't know why, they, they, they lost interest. They didn't finish what they started. That ever happened to us? Get really fired up about something and you kind of lose interest. And so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the purpose of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is to challenge the church in Corinth to finish what they started. Paul says, I used you guys as an example. 
you were doing such a great job, man. I, 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 when I was going around taking, getting, collecting the money, I said, look at the Corinthian church. Look what they're doing. Man, they're setting it on fire. And then you guys dropped off the planet. You've got to finish what you started. In chapter 8 and 10, 10 of 2 Corinthians, 8 and 9, rather, of 2 Corinthians, there's um, 10 principles of giving. 10 principles. I'm not going to go through uh, those principles today. We have a material that we have developed that we're going to be teaching in the core group, so we encourage you to be in a core group. If you're not in one at any of our campuses, you need to be in one so you can go through this. We want you to drill down on that. This is something, this is a process. This is something you need to learn, something you need to discuss with others. But what I want to do today is to drill down on one overriding point, kind of an umbrella of chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, and it's this. Stewardship. Stewarding our treasures. Stewardship in general is about attitude, not about amounts. Stewardship is not about the, the quantity of stuff you have, but it's all about our attitude toward the stuff we have. You can have a little or a lot or somewhere in between. But it's not about that. It's about your heart. Throughout Scripture, God is always caring more about what you're holding in your heart than what you're holding in your hands. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 3. Remember, He's writing to the Corinthian church, going through a great time economically, and he's saying, what happened to you guys? You guys got to pick it up. You got to finish what you started. And he starts out by using an example of some churches in Macedonia. We want you to know, chapter 8, verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. By the way, Macedonia is an area in, in Europe, and it included Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. So think about the Philippians and think about the Thessalonians. There's not a book written to the Bereans, but they're mentioned in Scripture. So we want you to know about the grace God has given these churches. Check this out. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Now think about what's happening there. Paul says that the churches in Macedonia were going through a severe trial. But that severe trial resulted in this abundance of joy. They were going through a time of poverty, but it resulted in rich generosity. They were incredibly happy although desperately poor. In fact, it seems that as Paul was collecting this, this, uh, making this collection for the church in Jerusalem, he didn't even ask the Macedonian church. They were too poor. Why would he ask them to give to a relief fund? It could be collecting a relief fund for the Macedonians. He didn't even ask them. But look at verse, into verse 3. Of their own accord, begging us, 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged us to be a part of this. Man, where do you get an attitude like that? They're going through their own persecution, involved in their own poverty, and yet they're saying, we will not stay out of this relief fund for the church in Jerusalem. They begged us to be a part of it. Desperately poor and still focused on others. Where do you get that? Look again at verse 4, the end of verse 4. Of their own accord, begging us, take part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected. We didn't even expect that to happen. But here's the answer. They gave themselves first, what? To the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. You see, it's not about amounts. It's about attitude. Look at verse 12. For if the readiness is there, if your heart's ready, your gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. It's not about amounts. It's about attitude. So look, I get it. I know that money is difficult for a lot of people. In fact, a lot of people never want it talked about in the church. I get that. And I know that some of you uh, are, are going through challenging times financially. Uh, some of you, single moms, you, you guys are our heroes. And, and, you're, and you're just scraping to, to make ends meet. Some of you are struggling through the results of divorce, and it just took a, took a toll financially. Some of you are living on fixed incomes. Some of you are without a job right now. Again, you're just trying to get by. I know other people on the other end of the spectrum that struggle with money. You see, a lot of times we think if we just had more money, that would solve all our problems, right? But man, when I talk to people with a lot of money, there's a burden that goes with it. I was with a guy not long ago, sitting in his boardroom and some other people left and just a couple of us in there. And he was saying, you know, he said, uh, God's given me a lot. He's blessed me tremendously. And he said, we've, we've been, we've given a lot of away. But he said, we really enjoyed life too. And then he, and he looked up and he just reflected, I always wonder, have I given enough? You see, the challenge with money is not, not having it. Sometimes it's having it. Have I given enough? But back to the point, it's not about the amount. It's about the what? The attitude. It's about the heart. Like many of you, I've been uh, reading through the Bible this year, and uh, if, you're, if you're going through the Bible, you're in Leviticus right now, so just hang in there. You're going to get through Leviticus, I promise. But we just finished Exodus. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. Man, there's a great passage there. Uh, Moses is getting instruction on building the tabernacle. And uh, he's, uh, he's asking the people, God tells him to ask the people to give. Now, they just, again, they're, they're just out of Egypt, so they don't have any currency, but they have gold and silver. They have the things they plundered from Egypt. And so he says, 
tell the people to give their materials and stuff so that we can build the tabernacle. But listen to what, listen to what God uh, says. Here's the thing the Lord com- has commanded. Take from among you, this is chapter 35, verse 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, or bronze. I'm not telling everyone to do it. This is not mandatory. Whoever is of generous heart. And then uh, verse uh, 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the contributions to be used for the tent of meeting, for all the services, and for the holy garments. Their hearts stirred them. Again, everyone didn't come, but those whose hearts stirred them, those whose spirit moved them. Look at verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair. There were those who had special skills, special gifts, and their hearts stirred them. Not everyone served, but those whose hearts stirred them. Verse 29, all the men and women of people of Israel whose hearts moved them. Are you seeing a pattern here? Whose hearts moved them, whose hearts stirred them, and the Spirit moved them. All these men, they brought for the work of the Lord that Moses had commanded to be done, and they brought it, look at the end of verse 29, as a free will offering. They didn't have to do it but their hearts stirred them. And man, when that's happening, when God's stirring the hearts of people and people are responding, uh, those in charge said, Moses, tell the people to stop giving. We've got too much stuff. We have all we need. Can you imagine that? Standing up here on a Sunday and saying, hey guys, you don't need to give anymore. You've given too much. Just stop giving. That's what Moses did. Their hearts stirred them. It's your heart stirring you in stewardship. It's not about amounts. It's about your heart. There's only one time in Scripture, only one time in Scripture, when Jesus mentioned how much an amount of money a person gave. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money in the offering. Many rich people put in large sums of money. That did not impress Jesus one bit. The amounts don't matter. And the poor came, and poor widow came, and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny, a penny. And he called the disciples and said, hey, you guys, you got to come and see this. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Seriously? A penny versus a large amount? Yeah, because it's not about the amount, is it? It's about the heart. And then Jesus explains, for they contributed out of their abundance. They put in a lot of money, but they didn't miss a meal. They didn't even know they missed it in their bank account. But she, out of her poverty, she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's not about amounts. It's about her attitude. See, this poor widow and the Macedonians, they understood 
the, the principles of stewardship. Four principles. One, God owns it all. All things are a gift from him. All things are to be used for him. And giving is an act of worship. It's a matter of the heart, not about amounts. God owns it all. If he owns it all, everything we have is a gift. We're to use it for him. Giving is an act of worship. It's not about amounts. It's about our heart. And I want to say this. When we talk about treasures, we're not talking about just money. We're not talking about stroking a check, putting it in the basket, or taking an automatic withdrawal and saying, I did it. I did my giving thing. Not what we're talking about. When we talk about treasures, we're talking about everything. If God owns everything and everything I have is a gift from him, then everything I have is a gift from him. My home, my car, my everything. So a few years ago, uh, Lori and I had this car that broke, just quit running. We had it in the shop uh, every, every month getting it fixed. So we said, this is ridiculous. And so we, we, we bought another car to replace that, a car that was reliable. And we were so excited that we had this car that was, it was a van. It was back in the van days. And uh, we had this van. We're, we were excited that we had a van that, that, that we, could, we, could, we could actually drive. At that time, again, the church was pretty small. Then we had a, we had a guy uh, here who was doing an internship with us, a youth pastor. I had actually coached him when he was in junior high back in Texas, and he was now in college, and he came to do an internship with us. So uh, Shane was his name, and he came, and he was living in our basement. He still may be down there. Uh, I'm not for sure. <laughs> so now I'm kidding. He's actually a pastor of church in Charlotte doing a great job. And so uh, one day, uh, Shane comes to me, and he says, hey, um, taking a group of kids to uh, Cedar Point, and uh, we're, we need another car. Will you let us use your van? And I'm saying, thinking, no way. I'm going to let you use my van. I just got it. I don't want Cheetos ground in the floor. I don't want it smelling like a bunch of kids that have been to Cedar Point all day. No, you can't use my van. That's what I was thinking. Now, I've never heard God speak audibly. But he impressed on me this. Who owns that van? Who provides you the money to pay for that van? Don't you tell people all the time that things are a gift from God and everything should be used for me? Let Shane take the van. I hate it when God does, when God does that. <laughs> Shane took the van. And it was just a reminder to me Man, it's yours. It's all yours. God's given you a home. How are you using that home to honor God? Yeah, you're raising your family in it, and that's part of honoring God. Is that all God wants you to do with it? Not about amounts. It's about attitude. Look at verse 13 and 14 back in chapter 8. Paul says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. This is not about you being burdened and then others, you just give money to other people. 
It's not the deal. Paul says, um, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time. Corinthians, you guys are economically wealthy at this point. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need because you know what, Corinthians? One of these days you're going to need something as well. It may not be money, but it may be something else so that one day their abundance will supply your need that there may be fairness. It's not about amounts. It's about attitude. So how do we develop an attitude of generosity, an attitude of stewardship for all of our stuff, our time, our gifts, our treasures? Four things. Number one, you've heard this before. You'll hear it again. If you're going to develop a heart of stewardship, you've got to be reading God's word every day. Now, I wouldn't stand up here and tell you, you know, guys, if you get around to it next week, just eat four times. Just eat four times. You know, just start, try to develop the habit. Just get into it four times. You'll be amazed if you just eat four times what will happen to your life. You eat every day, don't you? Because you know that you need the nourishment. You need the energy. And you got to be in God's Word every day for the exact same reason spiritually. There is no substitute at all for being in God's Word. No substitute and honestly no excuse. Here in a land of Bibles, you got to find the time, back to stewardship, you got to find the time to be in God's Word every day. I don't know what that time looks, for, look, looks like for you. Some of you with kids are rolling your eyes thinking in from 6 in the morning until night, I'll have a time of day. Well, I know that, but Jesus was busy too. And he always found time to do what's important. If you're rolling your eyes at me and saying, I don't have time, I bet you find time to eat because it's important. We do the things that are important. You've got to be reading God's Word. And you read God's Word because... If you want to develop a heart for God, you've got to know God's heart for you. And so you read God's word, you continually read about his compassion and his love and the fact that he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. And if God did that, if he didn't spare his own son, Romans 3.32, if he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, give us everything we need? That's the heart of God. Our heart will not be stirred. Stewardship will not happen. Spiritual growth will not happen if we are not in God's Word any more than you will grow physically if you stop eating. You've got to be in God's Word. Ball's in your court. You own that. And you've got to figure out a time to do that. Number two, pray about your giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. By the way, if you're giving, if you feel like you have to give or you're giving reluctantly, if you're not cheerful about it, then stop. Just stop. Because it's not about the amount, right? It's about the attitude. Get your heart right. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. How do you decide in your heart what to give? Well, you pray about it. You don't go talk to your financial planner or your stockbroker. Although after this week, you may want to talk to both of, of them. But you talk to your father, right? You talk to your father. Lord, you've given me all the stuff. How do, you, how do you want me to use it? How do you want me to use all these things you've given me? It's no mistake you've given me these things. Now how can I use them to honor you? Number three, share God's things regularly. Back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, Paul kind of starts this whole instruction to the Corinthians, and he tells them, every time you meet, first day of the week when you meet, meeting on a Sunday, right? Uh, resurrection day, set aside some monies on that day so that you can have the collection ready when I come. Do it regularly. Now, back in that day, they were paid every day. Went out to work, got paid at the end of the day. And I get it, it doesn't work like that. Some of you may be paid every day. Some of you may be paid once a week, twice a month, monthly. But the point is, give regularly. Make it a habit of your life. You might give once a year a big gift. That's fantastic. That's great. But give regularly. That's why we do this in worship. By the way, when I, before I got here, about a couple years before I got here at the Bible Chapel, we didn't, do, uh, we didn't pass a basket or a plate in the, in the service. There were, there were these two wooden boxes in the back. And people would walk out, and they would just put money in the boxes as they, as they walked out. And we got to thinking. Isn't, isn't giving an act of worship? Is it supposed to be just like an afterthought after you're walking out? So that's why it's in the worship service. When we come together, we sing together, right? We read God's Word together. We give together. It's part of our work. It should be done on a regular basis. You've got to figure out what your rhythm is and what regular it is for you. Remember when, when Peter went to Jesus and said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? Peter thought that was big number. And Jesus said, uh, no, Peter, 70 times 7. And why did Jesus say that? 490 times you're going to lose count, right? You just get in the habit of forgiving. And when you do something regularly, you get in the habit. So get in the habit of giving. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. Not what's left over. First fruits. Last one, give proportionately. Again, that same passage, uh, 9, uh, 7. Each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some ways may say, yeah, I know, I'm supposed to give 10%, and that's called a tithe, and that comes from the Old Testament. But if you really want to be an Old Testament giver, if you want to follow that, you've got to bump that thing up to about 35%. Because that's what an Old Testament giver gave. A tithe was just a portion. In the New Testament, a tithe is never mentioned. Never mentioned. It just says, give what God has placed on your heart. Give in proportion to what he's blessed you with. There's no percentage that's put on it. You've got to decide that. Before the Lord. Now, I, I get it. 
A lot of us come from backgrounds where tithe is taught. Lori and I use that guideline, but we also have to be careful that doesn't become a ritual and a tradition. There are many people who tithe, but their heart is not where it should be. It's a checkbox. It's what I do. Let me close with this chart, or let me share this chart before I close. This chart really sums up what we've been talking about in stewardship. First of all, there is in this box the self-absorbed owner, 100% mine. I have full authority over my stuff. I'm an American. I worked for it. I got up early. I stayed up late. I worked for my job. I earn my money, and it's mine, and I'll do whatever I want to do with it. Self-absorbed owner. Number two is obligated owner. I work hard for it. It's all mine. I got the authority over it. But you know what? I probably should give a little bit. I'll give something over here. I'll contribute to this over here. And I want, my, I want a name with my plaque. I mean, I want a plaque with my name when I do it. But I should give it. I'm obligated to that. I mean, you know, it's a great, great country. Number three is a legalistic owner. Um, it's kind of all mine, but I think God wants a little bit, so I'll give him a little slice. I'll give him that 10% pie. I mean, that's not a bad deal. I'll live on 90, I'll give him 10%. That is a pretty good deal, right? It's not biblical. I'll give him a slice. I mean, he is God, after all. He, He deserves a little. Legalistic. That can be very legalistic. And like I say, Laura and I use a guideline, but we've got to be careful it doesn't become legalistic. Here's what we're shooting for. Here's what we're all in process for. Love-inspired steward. 100% God's. God, I have given total authority to you over all my resources. It's all yours. It's all yours. Now, how do you want me to use it? How do you want me to honor you with what you've given me, my time, my talents, my treasures. That's stewardship. Two takeaways. There's a book called The Treasure Principle. By the way, this is a proce- this sermon series is a process we've started. Like I say, we have this stewardship initiative. This is a process we started. And you've got to keep after it. You've got to keep thinking about it and praying about it on your own if you're married with your husband and, 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 or, or your wife. Treasure Principle is a book that we really recommend. It's in the bookstore here on the South Hills in the campuses. Uh, we're going to be getting that to you in the next couple weeks. Matthew, it's, ba- it's based on Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And the second thing I'm going to ask you is get involved in a, a, a core group because this is the material we're going to go through and kind of drill down on it and talk about it and discuss it. Pray through it. Do that with your core group. If you're not in a core group, then you can uh, email Brad Ryan, uh, who oversees our, our groups and our care here at the Bible Chapel, bryan at biblechapel.org, and he'll get you in a group. Again, stewardship. God owns it all. Everything we have is a gift from him. It's to be used for him. Stewardship is an act of worship.
So we're going to cut to the campuses right after. I'm going to share a couple stories here, and then we'll cut to the campuses. Stay with us through this. Uh, the worship teams can come on up and get ready to, ready to sing. So um, we had two memorial services uh, here uh, this past week. Uh, lost some, some people very dear uh, to us here at the Bible Chapel, longtime members. On Friday, it was one memorial service, and then yesterday, the other. Nancy uh, Barson and uh, Randy Stottlemyre. Uh, Nancy uh, and her husband, Jim, they've been coming to the church a long time. Uh, they have four kids. A couple of their kids uh, come here as well. And, and Nancy loved singing. She loved singing in the choir. And um, her life was was an amazing life. Her journey was an amazing journey. And about five years ago, she learned uh, she had uh, cancer. And, um, and her walk with the Lord was, was very solid before that. Uh, but man, the things that, that she learned and then taught to us as she went through that. She wrote uh, one thing, all, all, all is well because I know without a doubt God's getting me through this. The cancer may never be eliminated from my body but I know God will be right with me every step of the way. Laura Anchorman, in a women's Bible study, <clears throat> had the women uh, take a picture. She had some pictures on a table, and she had the women take a picture, the picture that best described their faith journey. So I think we have this. Nancy chose a sunrise, and she titled it Awakening. And then underneath that, knew of God to knowing God. In her testimony that she wrote, this was in 2011, so before she knew she had cancer. Listen to what she wrote. This is like, this is like the stewardship definition. She said, there is no aspect of my life that is now entered into without seeking God first. There's no aspect of my life now entered into without seeking God first. She said, my journey continues to impact my life daily and that of my family. It has taken me ever so slowly and gently out of my comfort zone and given me the desire to reach out to others. I now understand what real joy is. She said, I cannot put into words the depth of my feelings and the gratitude to know that I am a child of God. On December the 18th, Nancy knew she didn't have a long time left. And so she wrote this. She said she planned out her whole service, all the songs. It was very cool. And she said, there will be people present who just don't know or have, uh, or have really thought, or don't know or have not thought about Jesus, all that Jesus has done for them. If one person can walk away from that service with just questions or an inquiring mind, just thinking about Jesus, That'd be wonderful. When she chose those songs, she said, you guys have to do this for me. You've got to sing those songs in such a way that everyone there feels the message to the core. Yesterday, uh, we had a memorial service for Randy Stoudemire. Randy was an amazing man wrestling coach uh, at Pitt. He was a three-time All-American wrestler. 
in 34 seasons at Pitt, 304 wins, winningest wrestling coach ever, one of the winningest coaches ever at Pitt. I think there are a couple other basketball coaches that have won over 300. Five times he was named the, the Eastern Wrestling League's Coach of the Year. Hall of Fame mentions the whole bit. He, he, he never was impressed by that. All of his accolades and all of his awards, he always said, yeah, that and 50 cents will buy you a Coke. It was amazing how he stewarded his time and his talents and his treasures. He was always there to, to build people up. When, uh, when the wrestlers lost, he said, like water off a duck's back. Let's let it run off. Keep going. When they won, he said, what'd you learn? What'd you learn from that? Never let your high, one of his sayings, never let your highs get too high or your lows get too low. It's always amazing to me when I, when someone passes away and I don't do every funeral, but when I do, we meet with the family just to hear the words from the family. Randy and Regina have uh, four girls. Uh, he always referred to them as his lovely ladies. And to hear them talk about their dad, to hear them just the, the, the love they had for him, the respect they had for him, the admiration they had for him, not, not as a coach of a D1 program, their dad they knew and loved. He was, he was a coach of a D1 program, an elite program, and Randy, 34 years, 34 years, 300 wins, he signed 34 one-year contracts. It's unheard of. 34 one-year contracts. For him, it was, it, it was bigger than the money. It was bigger than the sport. He wanted to influence these young men for Jesus Christ. And to hear his daughters talk about the Lord in just natural ways. Man, I just sat there thinking, oh, Lord, please, one of these days, please let my kids be saying something similar. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? That's stewardship. How you live is what you leave. How are you doing with the time that God has given you? Randy had an... Um, early onset of Alzheimer's. And when he got it, he said, you know what? I know what's ahead of me. I'm going to take one day at a time. And that's what he did. Trusting the Lord all the way. That's all we got, right? One day at a time. What are you doing with God's time? What are you doing with God's gifts? What are you doing with God's treasures?